0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Schrodinger's Tulip. The podcast is both reformed and not reformed at the same time, so we get to move on to bigger and more important topics for theology and ministry. Um, I'm your host, Corey, joined as always by everyone's favorite host. Woo!
1: Jr. Phillips in the house.
0: I'm so glad you're still owning that title. So... uh so I guess we need to start off by addressing the fact that uh, we missed a podcast for the first week ever.
1: <laughs> yes, it was uh, it was brutal. Not yes. only did we miss a podcast, if you uh, listen to the Thursday show, which is just called Working Title, Zach did not <laughs> get me his end of the bargain because he had to go uh, visit his mom. Long story there. So uh, we were 0 for 2 on podcasts. We have like 20 podcasts that we're releasing two a week, and then all of a sudden, radio silence. I think our... Our moms were worried about us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, the only way, that's the only way our moms... Well, your mom probably hears from me in other ways, huh? Um. Okay, so we're going to talk about something else now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we, we apologize for that. that. We also apologize that the last episode we released is a pretty low-quality podcast. Uh, as far as the, the digital stuff, we have a really good explanation for what happened. And that is that the magic computer fairies... That run technology were displeased with us in some way.
1: Yes, if you want to be a part of the Schrodinger Tulip team, and uh,
0: that yeah, if you want to edit stuff, yeah, if
1: you you're an editor, you want to be a part of the Schrodinger Tulip, or if team.
0: you're decently competent with a. How long did it take me to pull up the computer to record this episode?
1: Hours. Uh, that's,
0: yeah, like you, that's that's hyperbole, you, but it's not much hyperbole. You started yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, <laughs> if uh, if if you're good at that, we will, we will. We will like uh, trade out airtime. Yeah. You can talk about whatever you want. If yes. you want to become the, if you want to become a partner with Schrodinger's Tulip, like if you have editing duties that you can trade for some sort of advertisement, we'll, we'll gladly do that. Yes,
1: like, and we will gladly cut our salaries and give it to you. That's
0: right. In fact, we will we will give you the entire budget for Schrodinger's Tulip.
1: I will triple your salary on the spot.
0: Yeah, that's right. minus what we pay for the RSS feed. Yes, so, which right now is a significant portion if not all of our budget. Anyway, moving forward, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some things that are coming up in the future.
1: So, okay. Um I think I think the best way to say this, Corey, is that you have created a problem for us.
0: Oh, so this is the segue going into creation?
1: Yes, we're well, we're segueing into what's coming up. What's coming up is that you are creating a problem for us by going to uh, Israel. Israel,
0: and what are you going to do? Yeah, Israel? I'm going to be I'm going to be digging at Tel Gezer, which is you know, it's in the Bible. It's one of the it's the city that Pharaoh gives to Solomon as a dowry gift. Um, we're digging out a uh, what we're calling a water system. It's a great big hole in the ground. So it might be a water system. I don't know. So I just don't want a rock to fall on my head.
1: If you find a book down there...
0: Uh, It's going to be very wet.
1: It's going to be very wet. Say it's written by Jesus. I'm about to try to create controversy here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, It's written by
0: Jesus. Do you put it in? Do I put it in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I've never thought about this before. (laughs) I've thought about if I found a book written by Paul. I've I've done Paul too, but... Paul's easy. You, it was written by Jesus. It, yeah, Jesus it wrote it himself. I I'll, I'll say this, if if I if we found a book that could be proven to be written by Jesus, and let me just say archeologically there is no way for us to do that. <laughs> um but uh but if we did, if we knew that it could be written by Jesus, what it would do is it would make me rethink my entire theology of inspiration.
1: What about if it's written on golden tablets and you have to use a seer stone to
0: like the Mormons?
1: Well, once you say that, everyone's going to say no. Oh yeah, because it's the
0: the more I don't yeah. the Mormons wouldn't the yeah. Mormons would be like we told you yeah. it was like we thought those golden tablets were in New England that's where we left them how did they get to Israel yeah and it's like we're all gonna have to go find the the angel Aroni and fi- figure out what that guy was doing at Tel Gezer when he was supposed to have left those things in New England yes. so either-
1: sorry Mormon re- listeners we just all just of our Mormon you. listeners
0: are offended <laughs> my guess is that we're going to lose one hundred percent of our Mormon listeners it's a
1: sad day yeah
0: so anyway what well,
1: Let's create another segue, Corey. Okay, let's do this. Uh, last week, and by last week, I mean three weeks ago or something like that. One week. it was two weeks ago. When we recorded uh, the Water Podcast, why yeah. one that sounded like we were underwater, we talked about God Almighty, right? Yeah. And uh, what comes after an Almighty God?
0: Uh, in the Creed? Yes. Yeah, so the next line is creator of heaven and earth. Tagged to that Almighty line. So... Uh, we can't draw this out for people because it's a podcast. But it's I believe in God the Father Almighty, comma. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate your big air comma there. Yeah, Creator of heaven and earth.
1: So. Okay, and um, so, are we, how do we talk about uh, a creator God? Like, what what does that mean for us? You're yeah. an Old Testament scholar. What does that mean for us?
0: The 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 minimalist thing that it means, and and the the most important truth is that god is responsible for all of creation so we're we're talking about um a separation between created things and creator and that god is firmly on the creator side this is genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so that's the most that's the most foundational it's the minimalistic uh thing that you can believe and still be accepted inside orthodox christianity and it's the most important part of the the doctrine of creation is that God is creator; all other things are created.
1: Um, I think I think too for our listeners, it, it's important for us to note uh, that within Orthodoxy or within Christianity, there are different modes of interpreting Genesis one, Genesis like uh, the creation passage, seven day literal creation passage. Um, there is a ideal time theory that says God created the earth to look old. There is, uh, uh, old earth theory, or I, I guess that's the best way to describe it. That God, like that God created the earth in, uh, yoms, right?
0: Yeah. Figurative yoms,
1: figurative so. yom, So God created the earth in an amount of time to, you know, and then there is the literal like Ken Ham, uh, Kent in literal six day creation, the Earth is like six, seven thousand year old gods.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh you know, I think part of a representation of the spectrum. I was listening to a uh um a video from the Bill Mayer show. Bill mayer is a, he's a, a news commentator, he's a he's an atheist and uh he had a guy on his show who was a Catholic. Um the guy was really doing a pretty good job on the whole. Of standing up for, for biblical orthodoxy, but one one place where I just really disagreed with him is he said Bill Bill Mayer was basically saying, uh, you know, Christians are all wrong because they have this uh, what I think he called it like a cartoonish view of Genesis, um, of creation. And the the guy who was on the show who was representing the Christian tradition said, no, that's a modern invention. Fundamentalists invented this uh, tradition of interpreting Genesis as literal. It never really existed in that form before them. Uh, that was a that was a gross overstatement. Um, there are Christians all the way back to uh, the Church Fathers that, when we look at them, there's no other there's no way to read their writings other than to say these guys understand Genesis literally. And when I say literally, I mean Ken Ham sort of literally. Um, yeah. So that that tradition is very deep. What is true though is that uh, Christians from very early tr- Christianity, I think of Oregon in particular, um, the state. Uh, or, Go Ducks. Yeah. Or, or again, some people say Origen. Oh, okay. I don't know which one's right. I used yeah. to say Origen. I heard people that I think are smarter than me saying Oregon. So. It's
1: like Caribbean or Caribbean. It depends on if it's One of them is a
0: Disney movie. Yeah. That's got to be authoritative. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> so, uh, But anyway, the, the point is is that some early Christian writers do seem to have a more uh, figural interpretation of Genesis. So both traditions, uh, as far as... One, one in being hyper-literal, the other in being figurative. Both of these traditions have existed historically within Christianity and by Christians who affirm, "I believe in God, the Father, Creator of heaven and earth."
1: Yes, and I don't. Th- I think that one of them, there, there is an idea out there of what Genesis one one means that is correct. Yeah. But I don't think that any of the positions that we uh, that we have espoused um, takes away from the f- part that God is a creator. It definitely doesn't take away from the part of how awesome his creation is, like right. like the only thing that this podcast has created is you creating problems for me uh, <laughs> and the, by and by going to israel by going to Israel right. and digging up a hole, like yeah. you're literally digging up a hole, <laughs> like so they are still saying that God is a creator, and like in in the truest sense of the words we we don't create things doing,
0: yeah, that's right, uh so everything we do is. A process of reorganization mm-hmm. um which i like to think about myself at what well, you and i both like going all the way back to when we were in high school we've we've been involved in things that are like creative things um especially in uh like language we both since we were in high school have, have you know taken stabs at poetry mine makes sense and yours doesn't yes. um but uh
1: Mine's but, past modern
0: past modern <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but we both think of ourselves as creative people, but we're not we're not making something uh that was absent before. If we're creating in the sense of writing something down, we're arranging words, so that's a process of organization if you uh if If an architect designs and builds a cathedral, then what's happening is a reorganization of materials. These are good things and they're valuable things, and I think that there there is a connection there uh to the, the Imago day that is within us, that there's something about the image of God that gives us this ability of uh of maybe what we can call like a creative reorganization. But it's not creation from nothing. And so when we say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we're talking about something where there was once nothing. And that that's not something that humans can partake in.
1: Yes. And just for for our curious listeners out there is there like a Latin phrase that we can use to say create something out of nothing?
0: Yeah, that would be creatio ex nihilo. So it's a uh, um, you know creation from nothing.
1: Yeah. So when you go to when you go to work tomorrow, just say ex nihilo, and uh, just
0: that's blow right. people's minds. Yeah. It will serve. It, it it will further the kingdom of God by making you feel smarter than your friends. Yes. So and, which is so important. Uh,
1: both you and I think that. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's the best way of putting it. I I will say this, uh, what is, what I think is good to, to keep in mind, and I think more helpful than, than the Latin phrase is, uh, to, uh, to, to consider the fact that there is a word used in the Bible, um, that doesn't really come through in English translation, but the word used for create in Genesis is only used with, with, as, with God as its subject. Um, so uh so the it's a verb that's called bara. I don't think it's important that we remember the verb, what like what the you know, the sound of the verb is, but to remember that there's a special word for what God does. Yes. And that we don't create in the way God creates.
1: And this is something that you will see like even scholars point out like this was in my Millard Erickson comment uh, commentary about systematic theology. Yeah. So like uh, this is you know I mean, it's something that's noted among Christian scholars, right? But it
0: has it, th- this is helpful for us when we're dialoguing with, you know, when we're dialoging with non-believing friends or people who are, you know, on the fringe of, of accepting an Orthodox position of creation among, you know, among the church. Uh, it, it's helpful for us to just say, hey, you know, in the Old Testament, there is a unique word for creation. It's not like I say I don't think it's super important to remember what the word is. If they if they Google it, you know they're gonna they're gonna be able to find that that is valid. So uh, so that's that's an important concept.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, what When we talk about God's creation, what do you like? Do you have any uh, overall thoughts besides He creates from nothing? Uh, besides that, he uh, that he shows His power and how Almighty He is by creating things where there once was nothing. What else comes with this idea that God is creator?
0: Yeah. Um, I think the most important one, we've alluded to it already, is an instant division between creature and creator. Um, and this is, this is so important uh, for us as we're considering all the other doctrines uh, that flow out of, of this fundamental doctrine of creation. Um, why is it that uh, why is it that our ways are not God's ways? Well, it's because we're the creature and He is the Creator. Um, you know, why is it that we are constantly in a helpless state and, and God is immutable and immovable and is never in need of our help? Well, it's because we're the creature and He's the Creator. And, and why is it that whenever we sit down, you know, at, at family meal times or at night, whenever my family does worship time, why is it that when we sit down, we lift up prayers to God? But it would be inappropriate just, you know, when we think about this from a, a correct position, unthinkably inappropriate for us to expect God to heap praise on us. It's because there's a divide between creature and creator. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I, I think this. I think creator and almighty, the way that they interact with each other, like God chose that he's almighty because he is creator. Also, he, he also is almighty because he created like like nothing he is not subject to anything uh that is over him because everything in heaven and on earth was created by god like him being a creator establishes god's sovereignty
0: yeah yeah all things emanate out from god um so it is important whenever the, we uh, the
1: father wait the holy spirit
0: <laughs> yeah i was about to say it is important when we delineate this that we're talking about in this sense the godhead is creator Um, that's an important note in the creed is that the creed identifies the primary function of god the father as being creator Mm -hmm. and why is that that's because that's the primary image we see in the old testament as god god the father creating now we know from uh from john one that the Son is active in this work of creation because this is a trinitarian act. Yeah. Um, but uh, in but in the, the
1: beginning o- the word was God and the word was with God.
0: Yeah. In the beginning was a word. The word yeah. was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and then makes explicit through him all things were made that have been made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of man. So John connects Jesus directly to the creation event. Um, but uh, but in the Old Testament we understand this as as an act of God the Father, and in the Old Testament this creative act from God the Father as He's revealing Himself through the Old Testament, this blows open everything else that's going to happen. So we're going to have echoes of creation throughout the Old Testament. This this is this becomes a dominant theme, um, so that whenever we come to the Exodus we're going to have motifs from creation and motifs from Eden uh, that continue to echo through. Uh, what's happening there? Whenever we come into the monarchy, we're going to have uh, echoes of creation and echoes of God's creative work echoing throughout that, and the prophets and so on. So, uh, so the creed connects us in with the biblical truth that the act of creation is primarily identified with God the Father, but that the the Son and the Spirit are not created things; they are not creatures. Uh, they are they are in unison with the creator god.
1: Yes. And and, and this this helps our, our trinitarian thought throughout. You know, it wasn't god and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It was god uh, god the father, god the son and god the Holy Spirit all working together in unison, but we we identify as god the father. Yeah. So so don't think that like god said let there be light and then he said let there be Jesus, but God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son are all there.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's unison there, even though there is a unique aspect of God the Father's creative activity. This is any time we talk about Trinitarianism to this level, um, you know, we slip into uh, to to having like a. We we want to be careful that we don't go into like a, a oneness theology where we yeah. say well you know really they're all just one person or or go into modalism where we're saying you know sometimes God just kind of bubbles up and it becomes mm-hmm. the Son that's not at all what we're saying we're saying that there is a unison to the Trinity um, and that that the Son and the Spirit are certainly present in creation and we know from John one that the Son has activity in creation uh, but in the Old Testament this is primarily the activity of God the Father yeah so. All right. uh, So moving on from that, you know, what is it that gets messed up, John Robert, when we don't this big picture creation, foundational thing in creation, that God, the father is the creator of all things. What what gets messed up if we begin to reject that? Oh, uh, one of the things that gets
1: messed up if we reject that God the Father is greater of all things, I think we actually start to reject His sovereignty. Yeah. Like we we reject His rule, we reject His word, we reject His truth, and we, uh, in some sense, make something else the sovereign ruler.
0: You mean non-Calvinists believe in God's sovereignty?
1: Uh, I hope so. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh,
0: imagine that. So.
1: Yeah, I heard a I heard a very ardent Armenian say. We believe in God's sovereignty, but do y'all believe in God's love? That was, that, he was like that's not unique to sovereignty; it's not unique to Calvinism,
0: <laughs> which is which is really true. Like, uh, you know, so so yeah, absolutely. If uh, you know, and and this is the reason that Christians agree on this, like across, even though there's, it's a straw man for Calvinists to say that Armenian brothers don't believe in uh, the sovereignty of God, or you know, within the Southern Baptist Convention to. To look at traditional Baptist brothers and to say you don't believe in the sovereignty of God—that's a straw man argument. Mm-hmm. We have we have differences of opinion about how we're defining God's function of sovereignty, yeah. but we all affirm God to be sovereign. And I, and for like the Calvinist
1: definition of—and we're getting off a little bit—but the Calvinist definition of sovereignty to me isn't not sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's wrong, but I don't think it's like like you you espouse your definition, but actually. That's the direct opposite of sovereignty, like right so yeah we're
0: both we're both affirming the sovereignty of God yeah. and and in different ways, this overlays the rest of theology it has to um and so so you're right, I mean, I agree that whenever we reject God's creative capacity, this necessarily is going to compromise his sovereignty, and the reason for that is is because we we take away something that the Bible makes so clear. Is unique to God. Mm-hmm. We also imagine a universe at that point where God cannot guarantee complete control because the universe is not a system where there is the creator and then created things. All of a sudden you have things that are functioning outside of that dichotomy and that's mm-hmm. going to be a compromise to God's sovereignty.
1: Uh, yes and so we re- you re- you start to reject creation of God. You start to make you start to make whatever else your your God um, mm-hmm. most for Americans for Americans. I don't think this is true throughout history or anything, but for Americans itself, yeah. So
0: right, and th- and so this this brings us straight into Romans. So in Romans one, starting at verse sixteen, we see how things get off track. Just and, don't
1: get to Romans nine. There you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we see how things get off track if you uh, if you reject God's. Uh, unique capacity as creator. It says, "'For God's wrath is is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse.' For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Um, so, so I mean, we have there the 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 root of idolatry has not changed. If we re, if we don't re, if we don't embrace that God has This unique role as creator then we're going to forsake the worship of god for the worship of something else and you're absolutely right we we're not we're not really prone at least directly to worship you know uh reptiles and birds and animals in our culture what we are prone to do is we're prone to elevate self
1: yes uh so so let's let's switch gears, gears let's create a different topic here uh, Romans one says that all of creation calls out to God. It uh, calls out like calls out that God exists. Like you, you knew God uh, through His invig- invisible attributes, namely His power and His glory, through the beginning of creation. Right? Yeah. So, some, that's the JR version. Uh, so if nature is to reveal to us the power of God, what does that say about man's in our actual nature?
0: Yeah, this, this is something that has tremendous depth to it. Um, at, the, at the core of it, it says that man should know intuitively from nature um, that he is subservient to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, and the, the, the thing he is subservient to, the most obvious thing should be that this is not animal life, this is not birds, these are not fish. Why? Because something that we've seen throughout the history of humanity is the truth that we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that there's a promise that man is going to have dominion over these things. Man is clearly superior to these other created things. Um, so why worship them? So, so the, the main thing that we see is is that when we are in creation, we see that we are subservient to something, but there is nothing else to identify in creation to which we are subservient. So what should that do? That should send us on a search just by natural revelation to say there is something out there to whom we owe our allegiance and obedience.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, now the here, here's a question I'll put back to you: Should that get us to the gospel?
1: Should it get us to the gospel? Yeah. Does it get us to the gospel?
0: Yeah. I, but, so 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 you're you know we'll go to the Oprah argument. You're a guy on the island who's never heard. You know how can you be expected to be a believer? Should. Should watching the waves break over the beach every day get you to the gospel?
1: I don't know if it's possible to get you to the gospel without the actual revelation of the word. Uh, but it get, it gets you, it gets you to God in some way. Um, I don't really know how that plays out though.
0: Yeah, but you're not saying get you to God in a salvific sense. No, it gets yeah.
1: you to the understanding that God exists. Right. Or a God exists. Yeah. So you can't say. I don't think someone on the island lost with the Bible can say that Yahweh exists, yeah, but they can say that there is a greater being out there besides myself, yeah, that exists
0: I think you're right, and I think what this does is what this should do is this should this should put the human heart on a on a course to to want to push against the tendency of the human heart to sin. This is where our soteriology actually is going to play a difference because I think one of the reasons this doesn't happen is because of the depravity of the human heart. This is how things should work. Logically, we should stand in our natural world and we should say we clearly must be subservient to something, but there is not another being in this creation to which we should be subservient, not not another being among the created things. And this should push us to look for a creator to whom we owe our allegiance. But humanity has never done this. I mean, this is not the way humanity works. Um so uh, so even though this is the way Paul's logic I think is is absolutely true, this is how it should work, but it has not worked. why it's because of the condition of the human heart and so God has things that he hands us over to um because of that
1: yeah, I would say I would say the condition of the human heart makes it hard for them to find God or yeah. not like hard like without without God's revelation through scripture like because yeah. I would I would say that people are actually looking for a deity to worship why do we have so many false religions yeah uh, and you know we can say we can say well Muhammad created Islam for the worship of himself for the, for the gain of himself but why did people move to that and I would say I would say because their their brokenness leads them to looking for something, but not being able to identify the truth.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I th- I think there is a I think again this is a you know contra this is all running contrary to the way uh, logically the human heart should work and the way the human heart does work um, because I think again is you know Islam is. Islam is another example of the fact that the you know the way that we should perceive the way the world works is not the way we perceive the Mm -hmm. world works, and and why is that? Well, it's because we come we begin to cry out to a false god instead of the true Creator God. Um, So uh, so yeah the uh, well the other thing I want us to get into on this is how do we draw the boundaries on different positions within uh, different positions on how creation works. Um, here, here's what I mean by that. We've said that this is the, the minimalistic the, the minimalistic doctrine, what you must believe to be orthodoxy in line with the Apostles' Creed, is that God created and God is creator and you are a creature. In your opinion, is everything after that fair game? Or, or are there lines that we still have to hold?
1: But in, in just the creation aspect of Genesis 1...
0: Yeah, in the in the doctrine of creation, like like is that a sufficient doctrine of creation? Is anything else? Um, if we go to the doctrinal triage that we've talked about before, um, it, does everything else become second tier after that? I
1: I I'm, I, I come really. Cl- I'm a lot more uh, skeptical than most people on saying who who is in and who is out. It, like mm-hmm. it's scary. Like like saying someone is is hellbound is is scary to me like i know it exists i know that there are people that are but i i try to i try to keep it as open as possible because i don't want people to go to hell um uh, i would say i would say upholding that god is creator and that god by god being creator that means he is sovereign I, i'd say if you believe that then you are first tier doctrine or Doctrinal triage and everything else is second tier, unless you make a compelling argument to me right now, and then everything in the Bible will be first (laughs) tier.
0: I think that uh, I I think I would agree with you. So I think coupled with the first statement of the creed, "I believe in God Almighty," you know, so the we talked about that on the last podcast that you can only sort of hear because it's garbled, but the you know god the the pantocrator the the one who is sovereign over all things pantocrator yeah it's a fun word yeah. so if you have if you have if you understand god to be completely sovereign and you understand god to be the creator of all things this rules out uh, deism and deism would be something that i would say clearly falls outside of orthodoxy which would just be the belief that god gets the ball rolling on creation and then leaves it alone now mm-hmm. that that's not a almighty god Um, so, uh, so, so we have a God who's active in creation, sovereign over creation, and is the creator and everything else is a creature. Everything else I'm comfortable putting in second tier. It doesn't mean I don't think it's important. Um, remember second tier doctrine. This is where we break denominational bounds. This is where, I mean, this is still very important stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, an, an example would be like theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism, however you term that. I'm very uncomfortable with that. I think it's got serious implications for the doctrine of humanity, um, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah, but but I don't think it's a first-year issue.
1: Oh yeah, the the most like just just because we're talking about most wackadoo thing I've ever heard about theistic revol, evol, revolution evolution <laughs> is that Adam and Adam and Eve were not the first humans, but. They were uh, how do I put this? They were they were the beginning of the story, and they were historical.
0: Gotcha. So they're taking the, archety- the archetypal mode.
1: Yeah, like like there were other humans, but then there was Adam and Eve, yeah. and they are historical. Like they are like I'm like at, at this point, why don't you just say that they're you know allegorical too? Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So so that would that would take us down, but we're in second tier issues. Yes. Now. Um, because we're we're both affirming pe- so people who are theistic evolutionists and then, you know, people like us who are holding a more literal interpretation. Though we're neither of us are the answers in Genesis can't. Like we're yeah. we're in between those two things. Um, but uh, but but people like us and then people who are full blown theistic evolutionists, we are both still affirming I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I'll agree with that. Yeah. So.
1: But does Deus, like, is the deist Bible like three pages? <laughs> like, cause like, if you say God doesn't interact with the rest of history, the rest of the Bible must be a lie. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's uh, it's definitely gonna be uh, it's definitely gonna be a boring book. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna get a lot of genealogies. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so so that's that's definitely the most naturalistic part of the Bible is somebody <laughs> somebody begat somebody. You know, we're we're pretty familiar with the process of begatting. So yeah. so that's gonna stay in.
1: They just skip over the Gospels. <laughs>
0: that's right. All right. Well, guys, I hope this helps uh, just see how foundational the God, or the doctrine of creation is uh, to, a, to a holistic theology and to an orthodox theology. I hope we've helped define some of the boundaries about, you know, why, why this statement in the creed that God is creator of heaven and earth matters. Um, and I hope that as we continue to go through the creed, you're going to see that there are bigger implications for this as we go forward.
1: Yes, So, and also if you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook at Schrodinger Tulip. You can find us on Twitter and follow us on iTunes. The most important thing you can do is tell a friend. Like, You have a friend that is wanting to know more about Christianity and wants big words spat at them. If you have a friend that is attending seminary or wants to go to seminary and they want to know what a professor and a student sounds like dialoguing about Christian things, tell a friend about us. And, uh, you know, we'll see you on the flip side.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.